0: Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please help us out by rating it. And don't forget to subscribe. Now, let's get into this week's message. Well, hey, good morning, Bridge family. And if you do this, if you could turn to Psalm 32 and then uh, stick your finger in 1 John 1. So turn to Psalm 32, stick your finger in 1 John 1. Um, Hey, if you're new with us, let me just welcome you. My name's Josh. Um, I'm the senior pastor of our church And uh, unbeknownst to you, possibly, we are one church in two locations uh, because we truly believe, truly, truly believe that it is better to worship, serve, and be on mission where you live. And so, uh, hey, Bridge family in Spring Hill, can you help me say happy happy Memorial Day to our Columbia campus? Do that right now. That's right. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend. That's right. Columbia campus, good to join in with you guys. And uh, dude, really excited about today. Um, I do want to say if you were here last week and you made it through Um, Last week, I just want to congratulate you. Last week produced some uh, very memorable moments. Um, Among them was uh, if you were at either of our 930 services, both here and at Columbia, there were ambulances in the parking lot at both campuses during that service um, because at one campus, I won't say which one, I want to avoid any unnecessary shame. At one campus, a person passed out after I told that wolf story. And so uh, if you didn't hear that, man, you just, you just delight your little heart in the podcast. And uh, it, it was pretty impressive. I do also want to say this. I, I, last week created one of my favorite moments Um, that we've had in our 11 o'clock service. Um, So usually when I say something and like a lot of times people will respond in the service, I'll get like very feminine amens, you know, amen, pastor, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Last week when I was uh, teaching about just the theology of human sexuality and that God created it not just for procreation, but for recreation in the 11 o'clock, there was this big dead silent moment and then a very deep amen from right over here. It's very masculine, amen, and I, I took, uh, took note of that. And then I also want to do this. Um, a bridge family, especially our bridge family like my generation and older, um, I want us to celebrate and encourage uh, another segment of our church body. Last week, especially for people like my generation and down, um, was a, it, was a cha- it was honestly a challenging week. And we saw amazing fruit come out of that week. Um, the Bible says it's our job to spur one another on to love and good works. And last week we saw multiple um, young couples that were, you know, cohabiting before marriage, and in all sorts of different um, issues in their life, come forward and grab community group leaders, grab pastors, and let them know, like, hey, I think I need to take the hard step of obedience to, to follow Jesus. So, Bridge family, especially my generation and up, can we show the younger people in our church how proud of them we are as they are following the way of Jesus? Yeah, man, just super, 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 super proud of you, man. So. I'm just really, like, honestly, as a pastor, like, that just, that just warms my heart. So here's where we are today, guys. We are starting a new series that we're just calling Anatomy of the Soul. And that comes from a quote from a, a theologian named John Calvin. John Calvin once said that he referred to the Psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the human soul. And he said that because throughout the Psalms, like, every possible human emotion is expressed in relationship to God. Now, here's why that's really important. You know, a lot of times I've found people will ask me um, this question. Hey, Josh, how's life? Um, I honestly don't think that's a a super helpful question to ask because what I've found is that my life can be awesome and my soul can be awful. It's like those two things are not always the same. On the other hand, um, I've found that like life can be awful and my soul can be awesome. And so like a better question to ask, I think is like, hey, man, how's your soul? And so, during these series, what we do during Anatomy of the Soul is every summer we take some of these psalms that hit these moments in our lives, and uh, and we just learn how do we pray these spots in our lives to God. How do we relate to Him from this spot? And uh, the one we're hitting today is a little unique. Let me lead into it like this: um, I heard a story about a guy in, in Nashville named Danny uh, that was he uh, was uh, sharing an apartment with a girl named um, Allison. And, uh, and the story was, uh, they were sharing this apartment and Danny's mom um, called one day and just said, hey, Danny, I just want you to know, like, you may call me old-fashioned, whatever you want to say, I'm super uncomfortable with you sharing this apartment um, with a girl your age. And Danny said, oh, mom, like, hey, listen, you don't understand. My generation does this different. We're totally just doing this, you know, to, to you know, make rent lower. It's t- and he just said, assured his mom, this is a completely platonic relationship, nothing is going on well she hung up the phone and she was kind of like okay but i wasn't born yesterday and so she just said uh hey son anyway i could come over for dinner so she came over for dinner a couple weeks later and sat down with danny and uh and allison and she noticed allison was pretty attractive girl and she was kind of like okay and uh, so she looked down uh at uh, at allison's wrist and said hey allison um, i love your watch i've been wanting a watch like that could I see your watch? And she said, of course. And uh, night finished, the mom left, and uh, a couple days later, Allison looked down, and she just said, hey, she noticed, I haven't seen my watch in a few days. So she said to Danny, like, hey, totally not accusing your mom of taking my watch, but the last person who touched it was your mom. So Danny fires off an email to mom. Mom, obviously I'm not accusing you of stealing Allison's watch, but the fact remains, you were the last person to touch the watch. A couple days later, uh, Danny's mom fired back an email that said, Danny, obviously I'm not accusing you of sleeping with Allison, but the fact remains that if she was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the watch exactly where I left it on her pillow, right? There you go. Now listen, by the way, that's totally made up story. There's nothing true about this story at all. But what I would say is that all of us know, everybody in this room, we know what it's like to have like a secret that we're keeping in our lives that we are desperately hoping doesn't get out to people Uh, that we don't want to know about it. Um, There are people in this room who last week you were coming out of that sermon just honestly with some like, man, I don't know what to do with this because you have a secret addiction. It might be pornography. It might be shopping. You might have a substance addiction that even your spouse or your parents don't know about. Could be food. Um, Some of you right now, even while I'm talking, are, are getting a little uncomfortable it's not an addiction, it's a relationship. It's like, man, at the office, this started with a little flirtatiousness. And it's like, man, I'm not like actively hiding this from my husband, but I'm definitely not sharing with him like the extent to which uh, emotional connections happen. There's a secret there. Some of you, is totally different. Um, some of you in this room, you have a secret, but it's a secret about something that was done to you by a family member or a close family friend when you were a child. And what was done to you behind closed doors when you were a child, has shaped your life in more ways than you can possibly express. It might be a lie you told. And man, you lied on your resume way back when you were 22 and now like you've actually built your entire career off of this lie on your resume. Some of you, here's your spot where it's like, man, you actually are living two lives and you've got this lifestyle that these people know about and you've got this lifestyle that you're sort of an alternate lifestyle you're cultivating in secret and you don't want these people to know about this lifestyle and you don't want Uh, these people to know about this lifestyle. Well, what this psalm does today, it it is a very important psalm. What it does is it's a comfort for people with a secret. It's like, man, what do I do when a secret is destroying my soul? Okay, now, I don't usually do this, um, but it's so important that I'm going to do this today, I'm going to give away the whole sermon. I'm going to give you the one-sentence sermon at the beginning of the sermon. If you're going to write anything down, I want you to remember this. If you remember this, I'll consider myself a a successful preacher today. Here's, Here's this whole sermon, okay? The whole sermon is whatever we do with our sin, God does the opposite. That's the whole sermon. Whatever we do with our sin, God does the opposite. When we work to conceal our sin, God works to reveal it. When we work to reveal our sin, God immediately goes to work to conceal it. That's incredible news. God is always doing the opposite of what we do with our sin. Okay, now, let's get in and uh, work our way through the passage. We're in Psalm 32. Pick up with me in verse 1 today. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to work our way through it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, here we go. Psalm 32, verse 1. It says, Blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We're coming back to that, okay? For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, listen to this language, your hand was heavy upon me, not against me, upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. So look at this turn. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, now David's like, he's turning, he's saying to everybody, he's saying, man, if this is true, let everybody who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. I'm coming back to that. That's real good. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now listen to this. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now what does this mean? Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Okay, Now, guys, there's a ton going on here. Let me start here, and can we all just acknowledge something really quick? Um, Typically, when we have a sin in our life that's a secret, our default mode of everybody in this room is we work very hard to conceal that sin. And we do this in a lot of different ways. Um, one, we do it by hiding it. Um, we'll work very hard to every time we commit a sin, we erase the browsing history. Um, if we uh, say anything about this sin, we'll confess it as something I used to struggle with. Um, there are thousands of people in our church, let me just re- be really blunt, thousands of people in our church who have a secret they are desperate for no one else in this room to find out about but every week you walk in with your bible and your cute little outfit and the plastic smile on your face and what you're doing is you're trying to cover or hide the sin some people now on the other hand some people don't hide it at all Um, you might be a person who you're prone to rationalizing it so that's explaining why the sin isn't really that big a deal and we'll say things like, hey, is, why is it a big deal? It's not hurting anybody. Or we'll say, man, if you were in the same situation, you'd do the exact same thing. Uh, some people rationalize away sin by appealing to their personality type. I say, oh man, that's not a sin. Josh, that's just how I'm wired. Uh, you took the Myers-Briggs and your type came back J-E-R-K. It's just like, that's who you are. And it's like, you know, whatever it is, that kind of thing. So some people will rationalize it. Um, now, on the other hand, some people, your default mode is not to hide it or to rationalize it. Uh, it's to blame shift. So if you're ever confronted with your sin, your first thing is, you know, your mom comes to you and has an issue. It's not my fault. They, the issue wasn't me. The issue was I hung out with the wrong crowd. Can I just gently say something really quick? Guys, the issue is never that you hung out with the wrong crowd. The issue is that you are the wrong crowd. That's why you chose the wrong crowd. And so man, what some of us do is we always want to blame shift. Now listen, can we just acknowledge something really quick? Everybody falls into one of those categories. Can we just acknowledge something? The reason that we seek to cover and conceal our sin is because we have a fear. And here's the fear. The fear is if my secret, your greatest fear is if your secret came out. Now listen, here's what David says in this Psalm. David says your fear is misplaced. He's saying your greatest fear shouldn't be that your secret comes out. Your greatest fear should be that it doesn't. Because if it doesn't, it will continue to destroy your life. If you look down at this passage, look at how he says this in verse 3. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. He says, man, the longer I held it in, the more my life wasted away. And that will always be true now. Let me tell you why that's true. Let me say it. Let me kind of explain it. The reason for this is, I'm going to give you a big theology of sin in the Bible. The book of James says that sin always starts with desire. There's something in us. That wants something sinful but the book of James says that if desire conceives and gives birth sin is always a highway And the end of that highway always leads to death. Okay, if you don't believe me Let me let me give one example. Let me me give an example from my life Then let me give an example from your life. Okay, i've got permission to share this story Um, One of my closest relationships in my life is my younger brother lee lee is three years younger than me and we are tight We are fast friends um, bro, you know, br- brothers all the way, you know. Uh, well, a few years ago, I visited Lee in a hospital room. And uh, the reason I visited him in, in a hospital room was because here was Lee's life story. Um, when Lee was very young, he had a friend that got him to try a cigarette under a trampoline when he was really, really young. And he crossed a line there um, that set a tone for the rest of his life. So he did that. Uh, but then eventually it was like, man, he moved from a cigarette to, uh, to he tried alcohol at an extremely young age and Lee uh, has a, sort of a, a personality that is prone to addiction. And so alcohol didn't stay at alcohol. It moved to alcoholism. And then when Lee got into college or in high school, he tried marijuana for the first time, right? And uh, across the line there, same line. And, uh, but then marijuana, gateway drug, didn't stay there. So by the time Lee got into college, into a fraternity, tried heroin for the first time. Uh, heroin scared Lee. And so he was like, man, that's a little scary. And so he moved over to painkillers. And uh, at first, Lee uh, just was on some opioids, some painkillers there, um, but it didn't stay there. And so trying it became enjoying it. Enjoying it became enslaved to it, and it became an addiction. And eventually, it wasn't just an addiction. It got to the spot where Lee was spending about $60,000 a year secretly on painkillers. And when I visited Lee in the hospital, it ended with him in a hospital bed with a breathing tube down his throat. See, sin is a highway and if it keeps going, it always leads to death, okay? Now, let me, let me do one from your life really quick, if you're, you're not tracking with me. <clears throat> Last week, some of you were really uncomfortable during the message, and you felt God's loving hand dr- giving you a great desire to be free from something in your life, and it's because here's your life story. For some of you, your life story is when you were very young, you saw an explicit or a pornographic image, and depending on how old you are, it's like, man, At first, one image wasn't enough, and then you needed a lot of them. And depending on how old you were, either you moved to like magazines or you just moved straight online. And then eventually, what you figured out was that images weren't enough, you needed videos, like real people interacting. And then, what you began to notice in your life, if you look back, is that one wasn't enough, you needed lots. And then you needed more and more and more, and harder and harder and harder and harder forms, until eventually, if you keep going, what you noticed was that videos weren't enough. You needed something with a real person involved, online or on the phone, something like that. And so it moved to a real person. But then just digital interaction with a real person wasn't enough. And then it became something in your real life. You need a real person in your real life. And you crossed a physical line with somebody. And if you keep tracing that highway all the way down the road, here's where it ends. It ends with some guy you've never met tucking your babies in bed at night. See, sin is always a highway and it always leads to death. When I kept silent, David says, my bones wasted away. Okay, now listen, I've said this over and over. I'm going to say this until I say it so much you start repeating it back to me, and it becomes a culture of our church. The reason is sin is like a fungus. As long as it's in the dark, it's growing. As soon as it enters the light, it's dying. So as long as you hold it in, things in your life will waste away. Now, Because of that, track with me, because that's what sin does, God does something whenever we are working to conceal our sin and keep it in the dark. Here's what he does, okay? Now listen, we said this earlier, big idea. Whenever we work to conceal our sin, God, because he loves us, works to reveal our sin, to bring it out, to expose it, okay? Look at how David says this. Look down at the passage in your Bible or your mobile device, whatever you have. Look at verse 4. And David says... For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Not against me. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me, okay? Now, let me do this. Let me uh, explain something that is confusing in the life of a Christian. Um, Right here, I need to help you understand what it means for God's hand to be heavy upon you. And I I need you to be able to distinguish between three different categories, okay? Here are the three categories, okay? Okay. There are three different types of pain that a person can experience. Track with me. Number one, you can experience what's called punishment. You can sin, and it's possible for you to experience punishment. Now, here's what punishment is. The goal of punishment is retribution. A law has been broken, and you need to be paid back. Okay? Now, track with me and listen all the way. That's punishment. Now, discipline is different than punishment. The goal of discipline isn't retribution. The goal of discipline is formation. So discipline isn't motivated by like anger or wrath. Discipline comes from a loving heart that wants to mold your character. That's what discipline. So whenever a kid in my house, if one of my daughters spills her milk, I don't say, Eliana, you're going to pay for that spill. I hope I don't. That's the whole goal. You're going to pay you know, for that spilled milk. No, no, no. If one of my daughters sins, spilled milk isn't a sin, but if one of my daughters sins, then I want to lovingly form her character. Discipline is different than punishment. Now, there's a third category of pain, and this is where a lot of Christians get confused. The third category is consequences. Now, consequences are just the natural outcomes of decisions you make in your life. Okay. So, for instance, you have sex outside of marriage, and then the girl gets pregnant. A lot of people shake their fist at heaven and go, oh, my gosh, God's punishing me. No, God isn't punishing you, that's not punishment, that's biology. Like, when a man loves a woman, you know, you guys understand? It's just a natural consequence of what you did. Or if you do sloppy work and you lose your job, that's not punishment, that's a consequence. If you cheat on your spouse and you lose the trust of your wife, that's not punishment, that's a consequence. Now listen, I I can condense all this down, this is very important. Listen, believers in Christ suffer the consequences for their sins and sometimes God uses those consequences to discipline them, but no Christian will ever experience punishment for their sins because Jesus Christ was fully punished in our place so that all God has left for us is mercy. I am preaching 100% better than you're responding right now. All (laughs) God has left for us is mercy. So you will never for a second in your life experience God's punishment because Jesus took that in your place. What this means is that when you experience pain in your life, his hand is never against you to punish you. His hand is upon you to help you. That's what God is doing in your life, okay? Now, uh, let me give an example. Um, I, I'm gonna be super vulnerable here for the next 30 seconds. Let me be really, uh, give you an example of what this looks like in your life. So I told you last week that last week's message was very personal to me, and there's a reason for that. Let me give you um, my entire timeline with pornography and explicit content up to the time I was a teenager, Okay? Um, when I was six years old, uh, unbeknownst to my parents, my best friend who lived up the street, his name was Jimmy. Unbeknownst to my parents, uh, Jimmy's dad had uh, pin-up posters in his basement where he kept his Atari. You guys remember Atari? Okay. I lost half of you and gained half of you right there. Totally willing <laughs> to pay that price. So he had his Atari down there. And, uh, and even at six years old, there was like part of me that was like repulsed by it. But then there was part of me that was like, that's interesting, you know. So I was six Fast forward, I think, three years, and when I was nine, um, I went to a public swimming pool, and I went in the bathroom, and uh, apparently somebody had left an explicit magazine in the stall of a bathroom. And at nine years old, like, same thing, two emotions simultaneously, like, rushed over me. Part of me was like, gross, you know? But then part of me was like, that's exciting. And so I picked it up, looked at it for a few minutes, left feeling really weird, okay? That's it. Uh, Fast-forward to the time I was, I think, 13, and uh, I went to a conference with my dad and uh, some friends, and uh, Dad's friends had kids. We were out of town, we were at a hotel room, and two of the guys on the trip, they were like, "Hey, Josh, uh, we want to show you something. Uh, come, come in this room." So come, go in a hotel room, they close the door, and they go, "Hey, Josh, look at what we got today while we were out." And they hit play on an explicit video. And I was so ashamed that these two guys knew that I just saw what I'd seen that I literally ran straight out of the room and the three of us never talked about it ever again. Now, that that was my entire timeline with pornography until I was 15 and the internet, like, existed, (laughs) And uh, so we got the internet in our house. And uh, do you guys remember when, uh, again, I'm going to gain half and lose half right here. Do you guys remember when, to get on the internet, you had to, like, use the phone line? You guys remember that? You know, that kind of thing. And uh, some of you are like, what? I don't understand. Uh, so what apparently happened was, uh, here's what happened. is Somebody told me that there was stuff that you could see uh, online. And so I moved really fast through these stages. I moved from repulsed to intrigued to enjoyed to enslaved like really, like really fast. And uh, apparently, unbeknownst to me, my parents, whenever they were gone, they figured out like, hey, every time we leave the house, we try to call Josh and it's always busy. And so one day um, I was home, I thought alone, and I was viewing, 15 years old, I was viewing explicit content. And uh, while in the, mid- like in the middle of me viewing it, uh, all of a sudden I just felt my dad's hand come to rest on my shoulder. He was betty-betty sneaky. (laughs) Very, very sneaky. And uh, in that moment, I had two immediate responses. Um, One, um, all the shame of what I had done like washed over me like a tidal wave. But two, I felt this amazing sense of relief. And I felt relieved because I knew that I was enslaved to something and I knew that I needed somebody's help if I would ever be free from it. And so now somebody knew who could help me. And I was so embarrassed and I was so ashamed that day. I be- I've never told this story before. My dad and I have never talked about it since. Um, that day I begged my dad to punish me because I was so embarrassed by what I'd done. And dad said, Josh, I'm not going to punish you because I'm here to help you. You see, that day what I figured out is that my dad's hand wasn't against me to punish me. It was upon me to help me. Dad was not, listen, my dad was not there to pay me back. My dad was there to bring me back. You see that? Now listen, some of you are here. That's right. Listen, some of you are here right now and you are in a season of your life where day and night God's hand is heavy upon you. And you have a secret that you've been harboring. And right now, your bones are wasting away. And the longer you hold it in, the more your life wastes away. Relationships are wasting away. Your marriage is wasting away. Your sense of joy and freedom and oxygen in Christ is being choked out of your life. This sense that your life matters and you're being used for a calling that is far beyond you. It's wasting away. And right now, God's hand is heavy upon you. And he's bringing to your mind these secret sins that you've harbored for years and years. And years. And listen, his hand is not against you to punish you. His hand is upon you to help you. God does not want to pay you back. That happened to Jesus. God's hand is, he wants to bring you back because he's a good father who wants to do do good things for his kids. And he wants you to be free. That's why God wants to do this. So listen, when we work to conceal our sins, God, because he loves us, he works to reveal them so that we can be free. Now listen, This psalm, I love this psalm so much, guys. I'm going to go crazy here in the next few minutes. Don't you dare sit there silently in the next three minutes of this sermon. Don't you dare. I'm going to be mad if you do that. Verse 5 says that the second, so I said, here's a big idea. When we conceal our sins, he works to reveal them. Here's good news. The second we change our posture and we confess our sins to reveal them, he immediately goes to work to cover them and conceal them. Verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God did not excuse it. He did not deny it. He crucified it and he covered it. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. (laughs) Verse six, it says, therefore, David says, therefore, let everyone, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you when you may be found, because listen to this, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians of the church, speaking about this exact verse, he said, here's what the whole Christian life is like. The whole Christian life is as if you are standing in a valley in front of an enormous towering dam holding back a mighty river. Suddenly you look up at the dam and you see a crack begin to form in the dam. And the crack gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it splits wide open. And a wall of water several hundred feet high rushes toward you in the middle of a valley. You cannot run from it. You cannot hide from it. Your death is certain. But then just before the water reaches you, in front of you the ground shakes And suddenly, a great chasm opens right in front of your feet, and all of the water drops right into the chasm, and not a drop touches you. Guys... That is what Jesus did for us. The judgment of God was coming our way. There was no running from it. There was no hiding from it. Our death was certain. But then Jesus stood right in front of us. He took the cup of God's wrath. He drank it to the dregs. He turns the cup over, and with a loud voice, he yells, it is finished, and he shouts it on our behalf. Verse seven says, I love this. Listen, I love this so much. Verse seven says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Guys, here's what you need to know. For your entire life, because of sins that you have committed, there are going to be voices outside of you, people around you who hate you and don't understand grace, and voices inside of you, your conscience that has not been fully cleansed, voices inside of us and outside of us condemning us for our sin. Now listen, the way to get rid of those voices isn't to ignore what we've done or to deny what we've done. The way we get rid of those voices is to drown them out with the louder shouts of deliverance that the gospel puts around us so when your enemy comes to you and says to you you messed up you are no good there's no hope for you now We know that Jesus shouts louder, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the enemy comes to us and he whispers to your soul, because of what you've done, that you have no future, you've ruined your chance to be used by God. Jesus shouts louder, wrong. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, to give you a future and a hope, to use you for good and not evil. When the enemy comes to you and he says to you, you're a thief, a failure, a liar, adulterer, you're untrustworthy. Jesus shouts louder a shout of deliverance, Fine, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, the way to get rid of our inner voices of condemnation is not to ignore them and not to minimize them, but to drown them out with shouts of deliverance that Christ has given us in the gospel. When Jesus was on the cross, remember, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he do? He shouted a shout of deliverance with nail-pierced hands. He shouted, it is finished. Now, here's what I love about this psalm so much. If you look down at verse 11, it says, shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What will happen to you? I just need to disciple you really quick as you grow in Christ. What will inevitably happen to anyone who is surrounded with shouts of deliverance is that the shouts around you will someday eventually, inevitably become a shout within you? That will happen in the life of every Christian. So let me just say something. Right now, our church is growing in its expressiveness in worship gatherings. Listen, I just want you to know, we need a lot more shouting in bridge worship gatherings. I want it to feel like people walk in this room and the floor of heaven burst open and heaven itself spilled out in Spring Hill, Tennessee. So listen, every now and then, this is what will happen. And I need to explain something to you. You might be new to the church and you'll be in a service and you'll see somebody lifting their hands in worship or shouting, spontaneous shouting or applause in the middle of a song. And every now and then somebody who doesn't know me very well, they'll grab me in the lobby and they'll say, oh man, did you see that guy in the front? He was getting a little crazy. (laughs) That's what they'll say. That guy was getting a little crazy. Well, listen, let me say this. It bothers me when somebody looks at somebody's passionate worship and says they were getting a little crazy. Do you know what they're doing? The shouts around them became a shout within them. That's what happened to that person. There's something you don't know about the people who are worshiping with shouts, what you don't know is that that guy, that you think he's getting a little crazy. You don't know that that guy was an addict and now he's free. You don't know the stories that I You don't know that that woman that was in the PM service that you thought was getting a little crazy, that she was in prison in Colombia, but Christ found her and now she's here today worshiping with her family. You don't know that. You don't know that that guy worshiping in the front row, he was suicidal last year and now he's got a hope and he's got a future. You don't know that lady that was going a little crazy in the front row that last year her husband filed for divorce, and today he came in holding her hand. You see, every single person that you ever see worshiping with a shout, Psalm 32, 11, they have a past, and then the shouts of their past have been overwhelmed by shouts of deliverance around them, and it became a shout towards God within them. And you need to see that happen in your life more and more. Now listen, okay? What that, that does something to us. The psalm says that does something to us. There's a really confusing verse. Look down in verse 9 uh, on your phone or in your Bible. And the verse says, be not like the horse or mule that must be curbed by a bit or bridle, or it won't stay near to you. Now, let me explain what's happening here. This passage is saying, listen to me, that God, as you grow and mature as a Christian, God wants you to move past a desire to avoid discipline as your motivation for obedience. He wants you to grow up out of that being your primary motivation. So is this making sense? So so listen, here's why it says that. A, a, A horse or a mule that has to be curbed by a bit or a bridle, it will only stay near its owner because a bit or a bridle, listen, introduces some discomfort if it tries to stray. That's how a young, immature Christian is, and that's fine. But as you grow in Christ, you need to be tethered to Christ, not by a bit or a bridle, but by something much deeper, more internal, and much stronger than that. Okay? Now, here's what, here's what I mean um, my family loves to take family walks. <clears throat> if you don't know my family, we've got, uh, we've got two daughters, Eliana and Felicity. And then a dog and no cats because we're not wicked, evil people. And so we, this is what we have. We have two, two, that's a joke, two two daughters, Eliana, Felicity. Shout of deliverance back there, I heard you. Uh, Eliana, Felicity, and then Boomer. We have uh, Boomer's our dog. Boomer has toys but no clothes because that's where I draw the line. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dogs with clothes on. I'm just saying it ain't right. That's all I'm going to say about this kind of thing. <laughs> So when we take a family walk, think about this. We have two children and one dog. All of them stay very close to me, but they stay close to me for very different reasons. Boomer stays close to me because he has a leash on. And if he tries to run away from me, it will choke him. And so he's got some discomfort. So he has to stay close to me. Now, Elian and Felicity, they stay just as close to me uh, as Boomer does, but for a very different reason. They Listen, they are not chained to me by a leash. They are chained to me by love. They know as long as we're close to dad, a car is never going to hit us, a dog is never going to get us. We're safe with dad, so we want to stay close. God wants you to move to that point of staying close to him like a child, where you're not chained to him by a leash, you're chained to him by love. And you love him so much that you want to stay close to your father because that's the safest place to be. Guys, I'll give you an example of what this looks like. Um, years ago, I heard a story that I, I've heard is a legend, but it was, I've heard it quoted as true. The story of Abraham Lincoln before his presidency actually going to buy a slave. That he had had a revulsion to slavery that was so strong that he literally walked to a slave auction block and purchased a slave. And as soon as he'd won the auction, uh, he paid the price gave her her papers, and he set a slave free. And according to the story, this freed slave looked at Abraham Lincoln and she said, wait, you mean I'm free? He said, yeah, you're totally free. And she said, wait, does that mean that I can say whatever I wanna say? And he said, yeah, you can say whatever you wanna say. And she said, wait, does that mean I can be whatever I wanna be? And he said, yeah, you can be whatever you wanna be. And she said, wait, does that mean I can go wherever I wanna go? And he said, yes, you can go wherever you wanna go. And according to the story, she looked at him and she said, well, then I want to stay with you. And you see what had happened is she had seen great love for her and that gave her a great love for him. Do you see that? Seeing the love of God for us produces great love for God in us. What does the Psalm say? It says... Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Listen to this. Let your mercy like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. It is when we see the love and the grace of God to us that it turns us into people who want to stay close to him. Now, last, what you might be asking is you might be in a spot where you have a dominating secret in your life. And today you are seeing it, that the longer you hold it in, the more your life wastes away and you might be asking the question, well, man, Josh, and how? how do I get, for- I don't just want forgiveness, I want freedom. Well, I told you at the beginning of this sermon uh, to put your finger by 1 John 1. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn there. I want to show you something you may have never noticed before in the Bible. Um, a lot of Bible commentators say that Psalm 32, that 1 John 1 is the Psalm 32 of the New Testament. Um, You may have noticed in Psalm 32 that it said, Blessed is the man, listen, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Did you notice that? Now, what does that mean? Okay. Um, Let me show you something. This is what 1 John 1 says. And a lot of us have read it wrong. And if you read it wrong, it will produce more slavery. 1 John 1 says, If we say we have fellowship with him, God, while we walk in darkness, what does that mean? We lie, we deceive, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, what does that mean? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, a lot of people think that First John 1 means by light and darkness, A lot of people think that means right and wrong. And they think, oh, so as long as I walk the right way and I don't do the wrong things, well, then Jesus' blood cleanses me and I can be free. But guys, wait a second. Is is that what light and darkness mean? Think about light and darkness. When something is in the light, it's exposed. Uh, You can see it, it's not hidden. When something's in the dark, it's concealed. hidden no one can see it listen walking in the light doesn't mean everything in your life is right it means nothing in your life is hidden and we have a promise from god that if we will simply just like david in psalm 32 if you will sit down and walk in honesty with god yourself and at least one other christian and bring all of your secrets, everything that you've done out into the light for somebody to see it, one, in that moment, you will begin to feel forgiven. And two, that is the exact moment when you will begin to walk in freedom. You are only as sick as your secrets. That's it. And so what I wanna do today is that God might bring us out into those relationships of honesty, and that we might begin walking in freedom today. So man, will you guys let me pray for you right now? I just wanna pray that God will do a freedom work in your life. And Father, would you please right now, even as I'm praying, God, would your hand, your loving hand of mercy be heavy on us for us to vomit up all of the toxic poison of our sin. God, we confess to you that when we have held it in, we have wasted away. And Father, we're done with that. And so God, as people who want not just forgiveness, but freedom, we don't just want your hand, we seek your face. Why? Because we are loving children of the Most High God. And so God, we ask you to set us free. So Father, I pray, first of all, that you would just baptize and soak our church in a culture of grace that is so rich and so deep that sinners know that it is safe to get honest about their sin in this place. So, Father, would you please do that? Make us gospel people, Jesus people, uh, who are friends of sinners and full of mercy. And, Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would transfer our fear. God, I pray that a fear, a fear, an awe of God would replace our fear of getting caught, and that you would give us a desire to walk with you in wholehearted, unfettered freedom and to chase you with everything that we have. So God, I pray for those conversations. I pray for conversations among husbands and wives where long kept secrets come out. I pray for incredible mercy and incredible healing. And I pray that even right now as I pray that you would begin to bring those things up to the surface of our souls and that today might be the first day of the rest of our lives as we begin to walk in freedom with you. We love you. We pray those things in your son Jesus liberating name. Amen and amen.